Chapter Six of Pollyanna of the Orange Blossoms. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Claire. Pollyanna of the Orange Blossoms by Harriet Lummis Smith. Chapter Six. Company. The day after Pollyanna's impromptu luncheon party, the morning mail brought important tidings. Indeed, the news was so exciting that Pollyanna felt it imperative to share it immediately with somebody. She stood for a moment, the letter in her hand, wondering if it would be possible to get Jimmy on the phone, and reluctantly decided against the idea. And then, as a bright thought struck her, she ran to the window, leaned far out and called, "'Judith! Oh, Judith!' A face appeared at the adjoining window, more promptly than one would have believed possible. A face so radiant that Pollyanna actually forgot what she had meant to say. Why, she exclaimed, you look as if something wonderful had happened. Judith burst into a laugh. Do I? That must be because I was so glad to hear somebody calling my name. It seemed as if I were back home again. Oh! Judith's remark had recalled to Pollyanna's mind her thrilling bit of news. "'What do you think? I'm going to have company!' "'You are?' Judith's tone was rather non-committal, as if she were not quite sure whether the prospect of company were an occasion for congratulation or condolence. And then, realising that Pollyanna's flutter had all the earmarks of cheerful anticipation, she said pleasantly, "'Some old friend, I suppose?' Pollyanna's expression changed slightly. As a matter of fact, Judith's very natural inquiry had suggested a phase of the subject which had not occurred to her earlier. "'I wouldn't call Mr. Fisher exactly a friend,' she replied hesitatingly. "'I never saw so very much of any of the family. But you see, he comes from Beldingsville.' "'Oh, yes. It's awfully nice to see somebody from home, isn't it?' "'Wonderful,' declared Pollyanna. After waiting all day to tell Jimmy the great news, she found his way of taking it little disappointing. Jimmy read the letter in which Mr. Fisher announced the date of his arrival, and looked at his wife out of the corner of his eye. "'I didn't suppose you knew the Fishers very well.' "'Why, at home everybody knows everybody else.' "'Yes, of course,' Jimmy coughed. "'You seem so overjoyed at the prospect of seeing him that I'm inclined to be jealous.' "'Jealous?' You absurd boy! As if there ever could have been anybody but you!" The subject was so fascinating that it was a rather long time before they got back to Mr. Fisher. And then Pollyanna remarked casually that the following day they would have dinner half an hour later than usual, since Mr. Fisher could not get out before seven o'clock. Jimmy's lips parted, as if he were on the point of making a remark, and then closed tightly, apparently to restrain at all hazards, the speech that had almost been spoken. "'Just shows how homesick she's been, and never said a word to me. Bless her game, little heart. She's not glad to see old Fisher. She can't be. It's just the idea that he comes from home. Well, I won't spoil her fun by saying what I think about it.' Mr. Fisher did not present himself till nearly half-past seven the following evening, and Pollyanna suffered the agonies familiar to most housekeepers wondering whether the chicken would be spoiled before the arrival of her guest. When at length he made his appearance, he offered no apologies. He was a short, thick-set man, who breathed heavily, ate heartily, 
and had little to contribute to the joy of any social occasion. Casually, during the meal, he mentioned that his visit would last three days, and Jimmy looked obliquely at his wife to see how she would take the news. But at once he perceived that Pollyanna's hospitality was equal to the strain. Three days! How nice, Mr. Fisher! Then you'll have time to tell us all the news from home. Hmm, yes, yes indeed, said Mr. Fisher, clearing his throat loudly. I'll thank you for the gravy. He did not tell them a great deal of news that evening, for as soon as he had finished his dinner he buried himself in his newspaper, and by the time the dishes were out of the way he announced himself ready for bed. Our guest is not exactly loquacious, Jimmy remarked dryly, as the door of the little bedroom closed on the stout little man. I suppose he's tired. It's quite a journey from Beldingsville, Pollyanna reminded him. Jimmy, who was about to say that Mr. Fisher could not retire too early to please him, thought better of it. After all, he's our first visitor, he reflected, and if Pollyanna gets any pleasure out of the situation, I'm not going to spill the beans. Mr. Fisher proved a rather inconvenient guest. After the first morning he wanted his breakfast half an hour earlier than the regular time, and he returned for dinner when he had finished his business, and not a minute before. He seemed to have little to say about Beldingsville, and considerable gratuitous advice to offer his hosts. He wondered greatly at their choice of a location. Why hadn't they picked out a place farther downtown? "'Why, you see,' said Jimmy, speaking in a very level voice, and with his eyes on his plate, "'we were thinking of our own convenience, not that of a chance visitor.' Pollyanna threw a disturbed glance in his direction, and— Though he was giving such fixed attention to his lamb-chop, he felt the appeal of her troubled eyes. He closed his lips tightly, resolving that no matter how exasperating Mr. Fisher might become, he would not be betrayed into saying another word. And it was just as well he had made the resolution, for Mr. Fisher at once proceeded to express the most positive views on the inconvenience of apartments in general, and the special undesirability of this particular apartment where he was now being entertained. "'Just take that room where you've put me,' said Mr. Fisher. "'Why, it's ridiculous to call it a room. A closet, that's what it is. A good-sized closet.' Jimmy took a rather hot piece of French fried potato and swallowed it whole. "'And your outlook here,' continued Mr. Fisher, departing from his customary taciturnity. "'Why, it's just a tangle of fire-escapes.' I don't understand why anybody should want an apartment where you can't see a blamed thing but fire-escapes. "'Oh, but you can!' Pollyanna cried, throwing herself desperately into the breach, for she knew this was a sore point with Jimmy. "'You can see so many interesting things that I have to keep away from the windows till my work is done, for fear I'll waste too much time looking out. Jimmy, I think Mr. Fisher is ready for another chop.' "'I'm afraid it's a little mite cold by now, ain't it?' inquired Mr. Fisher cautiously. "'Lamb chops have to be sizzling hot to be good for much.' "'Of course,' he concluded kindly, while Jimmy ground his teeth in dumb wrath. "'I understand you've got to make a lot of allowance for young housekeepers.' On the whole, when it came time to say good-bye to Mr. Fisher, Pollyanna bore up remarkably well, and the next communication from the Fisher family— which came about two weeks later, was not considered important enough to be repeated to Judith out of the kitchen window. Indeed, Pollyanna postponed announcing its news to Jimmy till after the lights were out, and even then 
she had to make several starts before she could bring her courage to the sticking point. Jimmy, Matilda Fisher is coming Friday. Coming? Coming where? Here, of course, to make us a little visit. Why on earth should Matilda Fisher want to visit us? She never came to her Aunt Polly's, did she? Well, no, but of course I knew her. Yes, I knew one-legged old Sam Stowe, flagman at the railroad crossing. But if he wrote to say that he would spend next winter with us, I'd be a trifle surprised. It will be nice to have a real visitor, said Pollyanna with resolute cheerfulness. Of course, we didn't see a great deal of Mr. Fisher. Regularly at dinner-time, which was a great comfort. Now, Jimmy, well, wasn't it a comfort? If you want me to call it an infernal nuisance, I'm willing, though I must say I'm disappointed in you. Jimmy, hush! I was only going to say that most of Mr. Fisher's time was taken up with business, while Matilda won't have anything to do but visit. And, of course, we can go around together and see the sights. Pollyanna concluded in a very sprightly manner, and that will be loads of fun. Pollyanna's expectations were fully shared by Matilda. I'm simply crazy to see everything, she told her hostess as they rode up from the station in the elevated train. Pa and Ma often say they wonder at my endurance. I love to keep on the go, and as long as there's anything to see, I'm never tired. Pollyanna, who had assumed that this was a figurative expression of Matilda's buoyant interest in life, soon began to believe that it was a literal statement of fact. Well, what are we going to do this morning? Matilda would invariably ask over the breakfast cereal. She occupied the luncheon hour with plans for the afternoon, while the evenings were given over to movies, moonlight excursions, and similar diversions. Long before the week was up, Pollyanna was desperately weary. She had walked till she had blistered both her heels. She had gone sightseeing under the August sun till she had acquired a nagging pain in her eyes, which made her wonder ruefully if it could be possible that she needed glasses. And more than once she had been obliged to fall back on the despised delicatessen, for Matilda kept her out so late that there was no time after her return to get a regular dinner. Several times, indeed, Jimmy was home before them, and Matilda greeted him on such occasions with a coquettish cry. "'Oh, Mr. Pendleton, I suppose you think we're dreadful gadders, don't you? I do love to keep on the go.' But it was not only weariness that ailed Pollyanna. There was another explanation for her anxious face. As she and Jimmy had worked out their budget, the allowance for household expenses had seemed to her generous, and her personal pocket-money almost ridiculously ample. But in compliance with that most unreasonable of the conventions, which makes the host responsible for a guest's incidental expenses, Pollyanna had paid car-fare and bus-fare and steamer-fare, and bought admission tickets to all sorts of entertainments, and settled for the luncheon, when, as frequently happened, the hour found them far afield. Before the week was up, she was obliged to appeal to Jimmy for financial assistance, and, though he gave her more than she asked for, and silenced her with a kiss, when she tried to say something about paying him back next month, she was very unhappy about it. She lay awake when she should have been sleeping, wondering where and how she could have economized and avoided the disagreeable sensation of being bankrupt. Matilda was extremely sorry that she herself was expecting a guest on the twenty-ninth, for otherwise she would have extended her visit. 
"'There's really lots we haven't seen yet,' she declared, "'and I do so hate to leave anything unfinished. "'But I hardly see how we could have squeezed in another thing.' "'And Pollyanna, smiling drearily, "'agreed that they could not accuse themselves "'of allowing even a fraction of time to go to waste. "'Rigid economy ruled in the Pendleton apartment "'after Matilda's departure.' Pollyanna did her best to make the cheap cuts of meat appetizing, and Jimmy ate what was set before him without seeming to realize the difference between Irish stew and chicken at a king. For entertainment they walked to the park and sat on a bench in the moonlight and said nice things to each other. But after two weeks of uninterrupted cheer, Jimmy came in one evening to receive a rather timid kiss from a distinctly dejected wife. "'Hello, what's this?' demanded Jimmy, hanging up his hat. When is the next fisher to arrive? Jimmy, cried Pollyanna, forgetting her gloom in admiration for his insight. How wonderful you are! How in the world did you come to guess that? What? You don't mean? Well, by Jove, if this isn't the limit. Mr. Fisher is coming down on business again, explained Pollyanna faintly, and he thought that this time he'd bring Mrs. Fisher with him. Jimmy stood silent for a moment. He realized with indignation that as the Fishers were saving hotel bills and the cost of pleasure trips, they had reached a thrifty determination to see as much as possible of the metropolis under these economical conditions. But as Pollyanna was so sensitive on the subject of her hospitality, he resolved to be cautious in expressing his opinion. This will make the whole, uh, well, let's call it the whole Fisher family, won't it? Pollyanna ignored this. Jimmy, I've been thinking it over, and I feel that I'll have to make a change about company. I'm afraid I haven't been quite honest. Jimmy seemed on the point of interrupting her, and then changed his mind. Of course, continued Pollyanna earnestly, one of the lovely things about a home of your own is having your friends visit you. And even if you're poor, you can share with them what you have but I've been trying to share more than we have. Would you mind coming out in the kitchen, Jimmy, so I can keep an eye on my dinner while I talk? Jimmy followed at her heels, his face expressing a flattering interest in what she was saying. Of course in Beldingsville, Pollyanna went on, we always had chicken when we had company for dinner. But chicken in Beldingsville, when you can go out to Mrs. Doley's and buy them for twenty cents a pound, isn't the same thing as chicken here. Hardly, assented Jimmy. When Mr. Fisher was here before, and when Matilda came, I acted as if we had a great deal more money than we really have, and ever since we have been scrimping and economizing and trying to catch up, and it's not right. Now I've made up my mind that we're going to live on so much a week, company or no company. And of course, Pollyanna ended simply, the people who are fond of us will want it that way. Jimmy ate his dinner with marked relish though even Pollyanna's dumplings could not make boiled mutton anything but boiled mutton. And from casual remarks he let drop, Pollyanna gathered that he was rather anticipating the arrival of the latest contingent of the Fisher family. This was a relief, for she had gathered the impression, when first she broke the news, that he was anything but pleased. The Fishers came in due time. Pollyanna met Mrs. Fisher at the station and conducted her home as Mr. Fisher had important business to attend to. Mrs. Fisher was interested in everything, and mildly amused at the proportions of Pollyanna's tiny guest-room. Pa told me that twa'n't much bigger 
than a good-sized dry goods box, Mrs. Fisher said affably. But don't you worry a mite. We can put up with most anything for a few days. This assurance should have given Pollyanna fresh courage for the course to which she had pledged herself. But, as a matter of fact, it failed of the desired effect. Mr. Fisher was late to dinner as usual, but for once Pollyanna did not mind. The meal was one that would not be injured by delay, and Pollyanna, moreover, like the majority of people, was glad to postpone anything disagreeable, even though she knew she must meet it in the end. Jimmy had much ado to preserve a proper gravity when at length he faced his wife across the round dining-room table. Pollyanna's cheeks were scarlet, and her guilty air suggested a child caught in some misdemeanour. The traditions of Baldingsville were uppermost in her mind for the moment. She was almost ready to wish she had condemned Jimmy and herself to bread and cheese for some weeks on the head, that she might set roast chicken before the stout middle-aged couple, who, uninvited, had claimed her hospitality. Cordially, Jimmy addressed the lady on his right. "'May I give you some chipped beef, Mrs. Fisher?' Mrs. Fisher eyed Jimmy as if she suspected him of a practical poke, and then gave her attention to the platter. The matter did not admit of doubt. The platter contained chipped beef with a milk gravy, and now Pollyanna's blush extended to her ears. It was a conflagration. "'Thank you,' Mrs. Fisher said coldly, replying to Jimmy. "'I don't care for any.' "'You believe in a vegetarian diet, perhaps,' said Jimmy cheerfully, as he helped her to potato croquettes and string beans. "'Many authorities think it more healthful.' He turned to the gentleman on his left. "'How do you feel about it, Mr. Fisher?' Mr. Fisher said he would take some of the chipped beef, but he said it grudgingly, and in evident disappointment. And the disapproval continued, even when he allowed Jimmy to give him a second helping. "'Not what you'd called filling,' he explained." "'Enough of it ought to be,' suggested Jimmy pleasantly. "'More beans? And you'll have another croquette, I'm sure. I'm very proud of my wife's croquettes.' There was more for Mr. Fisher and Jimmy, as Pollyanna, who generally did ample justice to her own cooking, was unable to eat more than a few mouthfuls. Jimmy, clearing his plate with his customary relish, praised everything extravagantly, while Pollyanna blushed and tried to stop him, and Mrs. Fisher listened superciliously. The Fishers cut their visit short, for when the next morning Mrs. Fisher expressed the intention to visit West Point, Pollyanna offered to take her to the boat, but explained resolutely, though with a tremor in her voice, that she herself would not be able to go, and at once Mrs. Fisher assumed an aggrieved air, which was still in evidence when she bade her hostess good-bye immediately after breakfast next day. Jimmy laughed, after the fishers were gone, that he might comfort Pollyanna, whom he suspected of wanting to cry, and in order not to disappoint him she did shed a few tears against his broad shoulder, though her predominant emotion was one of enormous relief. "'You did exactly right, honey,' Jimmy encouraged her. "'We're glad to see our friends any time.' but that's a different thing from running a free hotel for everybody who wants to invite himself to visit us. Talk about the crimes committed in the name of liberty. There are as many committed in the name of hospitality, believe me. And Pollyanna, still moist-eyed, for the Fishers had been her first real, real company, and it seemed rather dreadful that it should have turned out this way, agreed with him to this extent. 
the people who have a right to our hospitality wouldn't even want us to make company of them. End of chapter 6 Recording by Claire